0: In the book of 1 John, 1 John, towards the back of your Bible, chapter 3, 1 John 3 and verse 4, the Bible says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. When is the right time, when is the right time to do it? When is the right time for a a young person to do it? When is the right time for a young person to give their life to Jesus and become a Christian? I want to ask you to think about those questions for just a moment or two. You know, when I began this series of lessons entitled Prepare to Give an Answer a few weeks ago, the goal of this series was to do my best to fulfill the responsibility that I believe that every preacher has, and that is to equip the saints. That is to equip the saints for the work of the gospel. That is to fire up the saints and remind them that the core things that they believe about the gospel are true and then prepare them and motivate them to go out into the world and share those truths with as many people as they can. That was the goal, that is the goal of this particular series, but little did I know that by the time we got around to mid-October, one of the lessons in the series was going to be very personal for me. It was actually going to hit me right in the face. It actually was going to have to be something that I lived and experienced before presenting it. You see, many of you by now are aware of the fact that our son, Sean Michael, obeyed the gospel this past Wednesday. This past Wednesday, he decided to put on Christ through baptism and become a Christian, and God knows, and the Lord Jesus knows, that when organizing these lessons and planning on when I was going to preach them, I had no idea that it was going to work out that way. I had no idea that he was going to want to do what he did when he did it. In fact, prior to the Sunday night of the week, I was doing a gospel meeting in Chicago. I didn't even know that my son was wrestling with this. You see, on the night of October the third, that was a Sunday night when I was in Chicago for a gospel meeting, I preached a sermon called The Book of Life. I've actually preached that here. I preached it here a couple of years ago. You probably have forgotten about that lesson. Maybe you were asleep. I don't blame you. (laughs) Many of you had to suffer through that lesson. The people in Chicago, they suffered through that lesson. And when I got back to my hotel room, my son, he told me, he said he needed to talk with me. He said he needed to talk with me about something serious and something personal. He said he needed to talk with me about his soul. He said he needed to talk with me about his sins. He says he needed to let me know that he was afraid of going to hell because he felt that his name was not in that book. He says my name is not in the book of life. That's what my son looked me in my eye eye and told me. And I'm going to tell you something that caught me completely off guard. That completely blindsided me, that knocked the breath out of me. I mean, after preaching that sermon a couple of hours prior, I figured that after presenting that lesson, maybe somebody in the audience, probably an adult, would come forward and respond. I figured that maybe somebody in the crowd, probably an adult, would have come forward, would have walked down the aisle and said, preacher, I need that. I need what you're talking about in that sermon. I need to make sure that my name is put in the book of life. I figured that if anybody would have responded to that message that I preached on that day, it would have been some adult that was sitting there in the crowd. I did not figure that my son would come to me once we arrived back at the hotel and say to me, Hey, Dad, I need to tell you something. I need that. I need what you're talking about in that sermon. I need to make sure that my name is found in the book of life. I did not anticipate that. I did not anticipate that happening. I was completely blindsided by that. And let me just ask you, have you ever gone through that before? You ever gone through something like like that before? Or you may be going through something like that right now? If you are, then let me ask you this, what should you do? Uh, How should you respond? How should we respond? How should we respond to our children when they come to us and request to give their lives to the Lord? I mean, when, when is a young person ready to give their life to the Lord? When is a young person ready to become a Christian? I want to submit to you that that is a challenging thing to consider. That is a challenging thing to go through and to work through. It is a challenging thing to go through and work through with our children because the fact of the matter is the Bible doesn't give us a specific age about this. The Bible doesn't give us a specific age of accountability. This is not like when they get their driver's license or they get to go and vote and the laws of the land tell us exactly how old they got to be to do that stuff. This is not like what we find in the Old Testament when God specifies how old Israelites had to be to go out for war or how old they had to be to be able to serve as priests at the tabernacle. Unlike that kind of stuff we find in the Bible, there is no specific age of accountability. There is no specific age that God gives us that lets us know exactly when a person is ready to become a Christian. And so the question is, the question is, how do we figure that out? How do we figure out when our kids are ready? How do we figure out when our kids are truly ready to give their lives to the Lord? If you don't mind, this morning in this study, I want to talk with you about that a little bit. If you don't mind this morning I want to talk with you about the age of accountability. In fact, there are three different groups of people that I want to talk to in this lesson this morning. And the first group, the first group are the young people. I want to say some things to young people this morning. Now, that doesn't mean that if you don't consider yourself young, that you can go to sleep right now. Don't go to sleep. Don't tune me out, don't start daydreaming, don't start playing games on your phone or your iPad, no. I want everybody to pay close attention right now, but I especially want to say some things to our young people. For our young people in the room right now, who may be wrestling with this and struggling with this, I got some things I want to say to you, and the first thing I want to say to you is this. First, young people, if you're wrestling with this right now, I want you to know that when you were born, when you came into this world, when you came out of your mama's womb, you were innocent. You were innocent. You were sinless. You were guiltless before your creator, who is God. This is something that we learn all throughout the Bible. We learn this in the Old Testament. We learn it in a passage like Ezekiel chapter 18 in verse number four. In Ezekiel 18 in verse four, God says to, through the prophet, behold, all souls are mine. All the souls belong to God. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine The soul who sins, notice, the soul who sins will die. Notice how in this verse God is is speaking about personal accountability. He's speaking about personal accountability. He is saying that we don't inherit our parents' sins. Young people, you don't inherit your mama's sins or your daddy's sins or your grandparents' sins or Adam and Eve's sins. The Bible says the soul who sins will die. Every person is responsible for their own sins. And that means that when you came into the world, you were born innocent, sinless, guiltless. Jesus teaches this, teaches this in the Gospel of Matthew. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Matthew, the 19th chapter. In Matthew chapter 19 and in verse number 13, in Matthew 19 and verse 13 The Bible says, then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. And let's just stop right there for just a second. Why would the disciples rebuke these children? Well, we need to understand that during this time, in the time uh, of the first century among Jewish culture, children were not viewed with a lot of respect. Children were actually viewed as second-class citizens. They were not viewed in a very positive way in the time of, uh, of the apostles in the time of Jewish culture in the first century. When we understand that, then we can see why the disciples don't like this. They don't like these little kids around Jesus. But verse 14 says, Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them f- from coming to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Notice how Jesus says that when it comes to little children, we're talking about babies, we're talking about toddlers, infants, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, even the children who are unborn, the children in their mother's wombs, those precious children are innocent before God. They are sinless, They are guiltless. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What does that mean? Well, simply put, that means that if the little children die today, guess what? They're going to be saved. They're going to get to go and be with the Lord. They're going to get to experience the eternal comfort of God. Jesus says that everyone is born innocent. Everyone is born guiltless and sinless. Young people understand that you were born innocent, but also understand there comes a time if you keep living when the innocence goes away. It goes away. When does it go away? Well, it goes away when a person reaches what we refer to as the age of accountability. The age of accountability. Someone says, "Well, what is the age of accountability?" Well, when we talk about the age of accountability this morning, what we are referring to is the time in somebody's life when they are now accountable to God. They're now accountable to Jesus. They're now responsible for their own actions and their own conduct and the own and their own decisions they make in their lives. You see, the accountable person, the accountable person is able to do some things that the innocent little child is not able to do. You see, unlike the baby and the toddler and the other little children, the accountable person has the ability to reason. He has the ability to reason and to think. The Bible talks about that in Isaiah chapter 1. In Isaiah chapter 1, please, in verse number 18. In Isaiah chapter 1, we go back to the words of God through the prophet. It says in verse number 18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Notice how God there, God in that verse is talking about reasoning. God is talking about thinking. He's talking about critical thinking. He's talking about critical thinking towards the seriousness of sin. And what he can do about a person's sin when they're willing to submit to him and give their lives to him. Unlike babies and toddlers and infants and other small children, the accountable person has the ability to reason. They have the ability to reason and to think. And maybe another way we could say that is they have the ability to know right from wrong, they have the ability to know good from evil, they have a conscience. They have a conscience, and that conscience is hurt and is convicted whenever they violate God's moral code. Moses talks about this in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter one and verse number thirty-nine. As Moses addressed the people of Israel, he said, "Moreover, your little ones, who said you would, who who you said would become a prey, and your sons, who this day notice, who this day have no knowledge of good and evil." shall enter there and I will give it to them, the land of Canaan, and they shall possess it. Notice how Moses here speaks of a generation of Israelites who for a time had no knowledge, no knowledge of good and evil. They could not discern good behavior from bad behavior. We put that with what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 5 and in verse number 14, and the Hebrew writer says, but solid food is for the mature." Who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I got to tell you that when I read these passages, when I read these passages, I can't help but think about my my daughter Faith. I can't help but think about my five-year-old daughter when I read these verses. You see, when it comes to our daughter Faith, whenever she does something wrong, Maybe she takes a a candy bar out of Walmart without us knowing about it and we we didn't have a chance to pay for it and we get in the car and we see she has a candy bar that we didn't know about. Well, when Faith does something like that, at this point in her life, she doesn't have a clue of what she has done. She doesn't have a clue that she stole something. She doesn't have a clue that she has broke a law of the land. She doesn't have a clue that she has broke God's law because she stole something. She took something without lawfully purchasing it. Her conscience is not impacted by that. Her conscience feels no guilt about that. She thought that what she was doing was okay. It's up to us as her parents to teach her that that's not right, that's not good. She's a little child. She doesn't have a conscience that is impacted by that, but the accountable person, the accountable person is different. The accountable person feels a sense of guilt whenever they do something like that. The accountable person has their God-given conscience pricked. They have a great sense of guilt when they do something like steal or lie. Or hurt someone else. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 9. When Paul told the Corinthians, I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you may not suffer loss in anything through us. Notice I hear Paul talks about a sorrow that leads to repentance. He's talking about godly sorrow. He's talking about an emotion that someone feels because they know they've done something wrong. They know they violated God's law. We see this in a practical way in Acts 2 and verse 37. Remember how after those people, those 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, they heard Peter preach that powerful sermon about Jesus. They heard him preach about how Jesus was the Lord and the Christ But unfortunately, they had killed him. Well, after they heard that sermon, the Bible says that they were pierced to the heart. Some of your translations say that they were pricked to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do to get forgiveness from God? Notice how these people were pricked in their heart. They were pricked in their conscience. They knew That they stood condemned before God, that's the idea of knowing right from wrong, good from evil, having a conscience. The accountable person knows what right is, what wrong is, and the accountable person also has the ability to understand the gospel. They may not know everything about the Bible, but they can understand the core message of the gospel, unlike little babies, unlike infants, other small children, the accountable person is able to understand what the Bible teaches about sin. He's able to understand Romans 3.23 where the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He or she is able to understand Romans 6 and verse 23 where the Bible says the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, eternal separation from God, the accountable person. He's able to understand what the Bible teaches about sin. And he's also able to understand what God has done for him to take care of his sin problem. He's able to understand Ephesians 2 in verse 8, where the Bible says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The accountable person realizes that God has extended his grace to help save him from, from his sins. He understands that God's ultimate Demonstration of His grace is found in Jesus Christ, where the Bible says in John 3, and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave, that's God's grace, He gave His only begotten Son, that who, who believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, and verse 8, where he says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The accountable person is able to understand what the Bible is teaching here. The accountable person is able to understand that because of bad choices that have violated the will of God, they are sinners. They are sinners who are separated from God and they're destined to be on God's, the receiving end of God's wrath. They're destined to be lost in hell forever. But God in his great grace and God in his great love and God in his great mercy, he gave them his son. He gave them his son to die on the cross and pay the penalty for their sins. He gave them his son to to redeem them and to make it so that the barrier between them and God is torn down. Jesus died on the cross for the sins, and he was raised from the dead. The accountable person is able to understand that. The accountable person is able to understand the core message of the gospel. They're able to understand what sin is, and that they've committed sin, and that Jesus saves them. In fact, not only are they able are they able to understand the gospel, they also are able to obey the gospel. They're able to take the steps that God has prescribed to accept his grace on his terms. They're able to have faith in God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. The accountable person is able to hear the gospel and develop faith. The accountable person is also able to repent of sin. Turn away from sin. Give up sin. Have a change of mind towards sin, which leads to a change in their lives. Luke 13, verse three, unless you repent, Jesus says, you will you will perish. The accountable person is able to repent. And the accountable person is also able to confess. He or she is able to confess what they believe about Jesus. Do they believe Jesus is the Lord and the Christ? And they're also able to understand what baptism is all about. They're able to understand how through baptism, they're able to come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away their sins. They're able to understand what Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 3, where Paul says, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? They are able to understand Acts 22 and verse 16, where the Bible says, arise and be baptized, having your sins washed away. They're able to understand Acts 2 and verse 38, where Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The accountable person, the accountable person is able to understand those verses and do what those verses say. The accountable person understands what baptism is all about, and the accountable person is also able to understand what commitment is all about. He's able to understand what's involved in becoming a Christian, being a Christian. It's not something you just do on Sunday. It's something you do every day. It's your lifestyle. It's who you are. It's who you are at home, at school, when you're with your sports team, when you're with your friends. Whatever you're doing, you're all about living for Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. The accountable person understands that being a Christian is about commitment. It's about living for Jesus every single day. The accountable person has the ability to reason and think, no right from wrong, understand the gospel, and obey the gospel. That's what the scripture tells us, and let me emphasize again, the Bible doesn't give us a specific age as to when a person is ready to do this stuff. The Bible doesn't give us a specific age of accountability. It doesn't give us a specific age as to when a person is ready to be baptized. It's not there. It's not in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. If there was a specific age of accountability, believe me, brothers and sisters, it would be in the Bible. God didn't forget to include it in the Bible. It's not in the Bible for a reason. The reason why there's no specific age of accountability in the Bible is because God knows his creation better than we do. God knows human beings better than we do. God knows that different people reach the age of accountability at different points in their lives. When I was doing local work in Leesburg, Florida, One of the members of the congregation, he's passed away now, but he was a 90 year old man. He wasn't preaching anymore. He had retired, but he was a 90 year old man and he has spent 70 years of his life preaching the gospel. He was a preacher. Seventy years of his life had been dedicated to preaching the gospel in Ocala, Florida. And I remember how one time he told me when I went to his home, he says, I was baptized at nine years old and I knew exactly what I was doing. He said, he said, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I wasn't right with God. I knew what the gospel taught and I knew I wanted to give my life to Jesus Christ. That man had been a Christian for over 80 years and he went to his grave staying true today. He says, I knew what I was doing. Some people reach the age of accountability at 9. Some reach it at 10. Some reach it at 11. Some 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. The Bible doesn't give us a specific age. It doesn't give us a specific age. And so young people, if you've never been baptized before and you know, You know that you know right from wrong. You know good from evil. You feel that you are a sinner. You have violated the will of God and you want to come to Jesus. If that's how you feel today, then you know what you need to do. You need to go home and talk to your parents about that. You don't need to easily dismiss those feelings. You you, you don't need to act as though, well, that's not really a big deal. I'm young. I have plenty of time to serve God later. No, 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 no. If you really feel that way today, then the first thing you need to do when you leave here is you need to talk to your parents. Talk to your mama and talk to your daddy. In fact, speaking of your parents, let me say some things to your parents if you don't mind. For those of you who are children, who have children, if you have children who have come to you with a desire to be a Christian, believe me, I know firsthand now that it is hard to determine if they're truly ready. It is hard to determine if they're really ready to give their life to the Lord. I mean, on one hand, we certainly don't want to pressure them. We don't want to pressure our kids to become Christians. In my case, with my son, I determined a long time ago that I wasn't going to pressure him to become a Christian. I wasn't going to pressure him to get baptized. I was going to wait until he came to me and said, Dad, I'm a sinner. I want to get my life right with God. I was determined to wait till that day came. Like any parent who's trying to raise a soldier for the Lord, I didn't want him to obey the gospel for the wrong reason. I didn't want him to obey the gospel to please me or his mama or because other young people in the church may be getting baptized or because maybe some older people in the church are trying to pressure him to get baptized because they feel he's ready. I didn't want my son to go through that. I wanted him to do what the people in Acts 2 did. Remember what happened in Acts 2 in verse 37? The Bible says that when they heard this, when they heard the gospel, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Now, while there is some preaching going on there, while there's some admonishing going on there by Peter, notice how none of the apostles pressure these people to, to become Christians. They don't grab these people and throw them in the bath street. That's not what they did. These people were pierced in the heart themselves. They made a decision to give their lives to the Lord. That's how God wants it to be. God wants people to willingly give their lives to him. And so we don't want to pressure our kids to become Christians, but at the same time, we don't want to discourage them. We don't want to easily dismiss them. It's not being ready to become Christians. I mean, there's some danger in that approach as well. I mean, that approach may kill their zeal. It may kill their desire to ever become Christians. We don't want to pressure them. We sure don't want to discourage them. You know what we want to do? Well, we want to help them, right? We want to help our kids. We want to help them work through this process. In fact, there is nobody on the earth who is more equipped To help our kids work through this than us. And Moses talks about that. But I think the best passage in the Bible for parents is Deuteronomy 6. You're not gonna find a better passage in the Bible for parenting than Deuteronomy 6. This is a verse that we hang up all over the place in our home. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and in verse number, verse number 7, Moses told the children of Israel, their parents, the parents of, of, the, of the children, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7, he says, When it comes to the word of God, you should teach them diligently to your sons, and you should talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You should bind them as a sign on your hand, and they should be as frontals on your forehead. You should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is Moses talking about there? Well, he's talking about creating a culture of Bible teaching in the home making the Bible everything we're about in this home. We're going to talk about it, we're going to eat it, we're going to drink it, we're going to sleep it. We're all about the Bible in this house. That's what Moses is talking about. And Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice how when it comes to the responsibility of raising young people who love God who and who want to serve God and devote themselves to God, That responsibility is placed right in the lap of parents. It's placed in the lap of parents. It is not placed in the lap of the brothers and the sisters in the local church. It is not placed in the lap of the elders or the deacons or the preacher. Or the Bible class teachers, no sir, and no ma'am. That is not what the Apostle Paul is teaching there. Paul says that this responsibility to teach children the Bible is placed in the laps of parents. It is placed in the laps of mamas and daddies. Mamas and dads have been given this task because nobody knows their children like them. No one spends as much time with their children as them. No one is able to monitor their maturity and their decision-making like their parents. If anybody's going to help our children figure out if they're ready to give their lives to the Lord, it is going to be us. Nobody knows our kids like us. That's the bottom line. In fact, for those parents... Who have children who come to you and they desire to become Christians instead of immediately saying to them, well, hey, let's jump in the car and go get to the baptistry. Or instead of saying to them, well, no, I don't think you're ready. Instead of saying either one of those things, you know, what we need to do. We need to talk about it. We need to have some dialogue. We need to sit down and start asking some questions. Let's ask questions like, why do you want to become a Christian? Why why do you want to get baptized? Why is this such an urgent matter for you? If this is an urgent matter for you, I want to know why. Why do you want to do this? If they immediately give us the wrong answer to those questions, if they say, well, I want to get baptized because my friends are getting baptized. or I want to take the Lord's Supper or I want to please you, mom and dad. If they say that kind of stuff to us, we know they're not ready. They're not ready. We need to talk about this some more. But let's say they give us the right answer to those questions. Well, if they give us the right answers, you know, we need to be able to recognize, we need to be able to recognize if they're really meaning what they're saying or if they're just trying to recite what they think we want to hear. We need to have some dialogue. We need to have some communication, some discussions. In fact, beyond having some discussions, we also need to spend some time doing some teaching. Let's teach. Let's study. Now, for several days, Shawn Michael and I, we did that. We had many, many late nights in the living room when we got home from Chicago. There was an excellent workbook, and I meant to bring it up here in the pulpit with me, but I left it in my office. I said to myself, don't forget that workbook, don't forget it, don't forget it, and I still forgot it. It's a great workbook written by a preacher named Mark Roberts. He preaches out in Texas he's written a, a workbook for young people to help them figure out if they're ready to become Christians. It's called Am I Ready? It has lessons in it about can young people really become Christians? Why do young people need to become Christians? What are the steps involved in the plan of salvation? What does it mean to become a Christian? What kind of commitments involved in being a Christian? Do they have to be baptized in front of a church? Do they have to be baptized in front of a congregation of people? Is it right to get baptized because you're afraid of hell? If you do become a Christian, why should you do that now? Why do you not need to wait? And what are some things that should cause you to wait? What are some things that should make you pause about becoming a Christian? Those kinds of lessons are in that book. And if you want me to help you get one, I'll certainly be happy to do that. But we went through that book. We went through that book for several days. In fact, one of the things I wanted to do to make sure that he wasn't just playing games with me and he really was serious about this is I wanted to see, and he's learning this for the first time right now, I wanted to see, was he going to do this book without me telling him to? You see, the way this book is set up is the kids do the lessons first, and then the parents go back and go through it with them. They sit down, they go through their Bible, they answer the questions, we go back and we see what they got. They got to do the work first. So I wanted to see, was he going to do that without me telling him to, or was I going to have to say, hey, you need to do your lesson? I wanted to see. That was going to tell me a lot if he was really serious. And so last Monday, there was no school. Remember that? Channel Unified, we didn't have school. When I got up about 8 o'clock, don't y'all, y'all know I ain't no good before 8 (laughs) o'clock. Now, you can call me at 1 o'clock in the morning anytime you want. Just don't call me at 7.30. I'm no good until about 8 o'clock. And so at 8 o'clock, I get up, and I'm, I'm going to see what's going on, and I'm looking for Shawn Michael, and to my surprise, he's not on his phone playing games. He's not outside practicing his dribbling for basketball. He's not playing on the PlayStation 5. He's already been up for about an hour, and he's done two lessons in this book. I couldn't just dismiss that. I couldn't just say, hey, this is not a big deal. This is a big deal now. This is something we need to talk about, and I view that as a huge blessing. I think for all the parents here, I think you'll agree with me when I say that it is a huge blessing to start introducing our children to the Bible before they're able to even talk, and one day the light bulb turns on for them. And their conscience kicks in and they realize they're sinners and they start having their own desire to serve the Lord and accept his grace. I can't think of a greater blessing for any parent than that. Would you agree with that? That's a blessing. But parents, we've got to help our kids work through this and it's not easy. But the last thing I want to say is I want to say some things to the church real quick. Can I say some things to the church? I want to know what can the local church do in all of this? I mean, while the local church has limited influence when it comes to other people's kids, is there anything that you can do to help? Is there anything that you can do to help parents and children who are wrestling with this right now? Well, let me give you three things you can do, every member of this church can do for the parents and the young people. First, as a local church, we can pray. We can pray. We can pray every single day. Every single day when we go to God in prayer, we need to be praying for the parents. We need to be praying for the young people. We need to be praying every day that God will help the parents and help the young people as they work through this delicate matter together. If we know of some folks in this church who are dealing with this right now with their kids, we need to be praying about this. We need to pray about this every day, and we also need to be encouraging We need to be encouraging the parents. We need to be encouraging the young people. We need to be encouraging every young person who wants to start serving Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. My son, when we got in the car Wednesday night, he was walking on the moon. He was walking on the moon because he felt so overwhelmed by the love and the kindness and the support from members of this church, people who had been Christians for decades, were coming to him and showing him so much love, he told me he will remember that for the rest of his life. He'll never forget that. This church was so kind and so welcoming to a young disciple, and my family thanks you. That's what a local church is supposed to do. Instead of getting into God's territory and judging somebody's heart by our own standard of age of accountability, God wants us to leave the judging to him, and we just need to encourage. We need to be kind. We need to just do the best we can to keep putting more logs on that spiritual fire for young people. We need to encourage, and I thank you for being such an encouraging church. In fact, beyond encouraging, we need to celebrate. Isn't that what we read in our scripture reading this morning? Celebrating the angels were celebrating. Jesus talks about angels rejoicing. Jesus talks about angels throwing a spiritual party in heaven. Why were they throwing a spiritual party in heaven? Well, they were doing that because they were so happy about sinners coming to God. They were so happy about all sinners coming to God, not just 25 year old sinners. Not just 35-year-old sinners, not just 50- or 60-year-old sinners. No, the angels are happy when all sinners, even young sinners, decide to come to God. When young people reach an age of accountability and they start deciding to dedicate themselves to God, the angels rejoice over that too. The angels are happy about that, too. They don't sit in heaven and go, well, you know what? That case of conversion is not really a big deal because both of their parents are Christians and they haven't been at the age of accountability for very long. So that's really not worth throwing a party for. No, sir, no, ma'am. What the Lord teaches is every time a sinner comes to God, the angels are happy. The angels rejoice. The angels celebrate and throw a party. And we need to also. We need to celebrate that as well. We need to always make sure that we understand the huge significance that is attached to sinners coming to God. The only one who shouldn't be happy about that is the devil. And so that's the things I want to say about that today. And I hope that can bless you and and help us all as we try to help young people serve the Lord. You know, we went through some uncharted territory (laughs) for a couple of weeks. Uncharted waters, but Lord willing, guess what? There's going to come a time when Gigi and I are going to have to do this all over again. Before Michael got baptized, his sister comes up to me and says, hey, when do I get to get baptized? I told her, don't even think about it. We're a long (laughs) way from there. Don't even think about it. You're not ready yet. But praise God. Praise God for young people who want to serve God. Praise God for young people who have a heart for God. The question is, do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart for Jesus Christ? If not, then I want to recommend that you develop that kind of heart right here and right now. Understand, there's nothing better you can do with your life than serve Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're you're young or old. Serving Jesus is the best thing you could ever do. And so if you need to respond to his gospel for the first time today, or if you need to be restored into a right relationship with him, Don't hesitate. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.